Well, hey everybody, so glad that you could join us for today's service. Whether you're joining us in person or you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're a part of what God is going to do today. Our service is gonna begin in just a few moments, so hang in there and we look forward to what God is going to do. We are praying that God would speak to us, that he would draw us closer to him, that we would learn what it looks like to follow Jesus and to worship him and to love him with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. So we're looking forward to what God is gonna do. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, coming up on July 31st, we will have our annual uh, beach worship service down at Seabright Beach near Santa Cruz. So I want you to make plans right now, uh, July 31st. Do not come to this building the morning of July 31st and instead travel to Seabright Beach near Santa Cruz. We will have music, um, a short message, and the, maybe the most important thing is time together as a church family hanging out all afternoon as long as you can make it into your schedule on Seabright Beach in Santa Cruz. Bring a lunch, bring a towel, bring some sunscreen, and come to Seabright Beach July 31st instead of coming here on Sunday morning. And for anyone who has not yet been baptized, one of the amazing things that we often do when we are down at Seabright Beach um, is have baptisms in the ocean. So if you have been waiting to be baptized, if you are a believer in Christ and have not been baptized since you became a believer, now's the time. We want to baptize you in the ocean down at Seabright Beach on July 31st. So make sure you get that into your schedule and we will see you there. Oh, your grace. 
our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. The darkness rejoiced as the Us, encourages us to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And today, throughout our service, we're going to do all of those. We're going to hear from the psalms. We're going to sing hymns. We're going to sing spiritual songs. And we're going to continue to worship the Lord our God. Go ahead and have a seat. As we continue uh, this time of worship, I'm going to uh, start by reading from the psalms. And one of our favorite psalms, Laura and I were just uh, talking earlier, I, I picked Psalm 145. Just, that's one of my favorite psalms, and uh, it's a great psalm. But uh, as we uh, hear from the word of the Lord, let's reflect on what it means to give God praise, to give him glory and honor, and to sing out to God and hear the words uh, of David as he writes. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever. Let's continue to sing out and cry out to God as we speak the praise of the Lord. And let's let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever.
all the glory to him. We come empty-handed. We don't need to bring anything to earn favor or affection, but God loves us and gives that opportunity to be drawn into him through his son, Jesus Christ, and that is why we worship. That is why we sing his praises, because of what he has done for us. We're going to continue to sing here, and uh, as I was working on the set for this week, I, I went back and I watched last week's service online, and I was listening to Dan's message, and I heard him talking about apologizing, apologizing to one another in relationships, and ultimately apologizing to God, who is the ultimate relationship. And as I was looking uh, through the verses of the familiar hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King, verse 4 came across, and I don't think I've sung verse 4 very often, um, but it says, and everyone of tender heart, forgiving others, take your part. Oh, sing ye how, alleluia. Ye who long pain and sorrow bear, praise God and on him cast your care. So as we continue to give God our praises, let us to rem remember to have a tender heart, to forgive others around us, to say we are sorry and ultimately say we are sorry to God as we worship him. Let's continue to sing.
together. We're going to slow it down a little bit, though. Sing the Let all things their creator bless and worship Oh, praise Oh, praise Dismiss the elementary school students to join Miss Alba in the back. Psalm 16, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. 
you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, even today, most Americans have heard of the Ten Commandments, uh, which are in the Bible, if, that, if you didn't know that. Uh, and most Americans actually believe the Ten Commandments are generally a good idea. Uh, there was, there's research conducted in 2018, so that's not today today, but it's pretty recent. Uh, where even uh, religiously unaffiliated Americans, religiously unaffiliated Americans believed, of course they believed, uh, rules like don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor, to your honor your father and mother. Those are important principles for society to follow. Most cultures have principles like that. That's not very surprising. Religiously unaffiliated Americans would be on board with those. But the surprising thing, uh, to me at least, the commandment out of the Ten Commandments that religiously unaffiliated people believe to be least important to follow. So the commandment that it doesn't really matter if you follow it or not, according to them, was the Sabbath commandment, which is the take a day off work every week commandment. Religiously unaffiliated people thought Sabbath was least important to follow. That's surprising to me, at least, uh, because that means, which they did, they thought it was more important, remember, religiously unaffiliated people thought it was more important not to worship idols, um, only to worship the God of the Bible. Religiously unaffiliated people thought it was more important to stay away from idol worship than to take a day off. Um, I'd think if you were religiously unaffiliated, you'd say worship whoever you want. Right? It doesn't matter who you follow. Like, who cares? But maybe, don't know, survey wasn't this in-depth, maybe uh, the reason they think avoiding idol worship is more important than time off because of what they believe worship is. When people hear the word worship, they likely think of going to some building or temple, performing some ritual. And when people hear the word idol, they usually picture some little carved statue that maybe you bow down to, right? And so maybe religiously unaffiliated people think, yeah, it's not the best to put on ceremonial robes and maybe paint yourself and chant and dance and offer sacrifices to a little statue. Like that's not gonna do much for your life. So don't do that. That's weird. Uh, you'd be better off spending a day at work. Uh, than doing that. Maybe that's what they think. Who knows? Uh, but the Bible actually defines worship much more broadly than ritual or ceremony or going before an altar and performing some kind of rite. The Bible tells us, actually, that all of us are worshiping something all the time, every moment of the day. And sure, worship can include ritual and ceremony, but it's far broader than that. In fact, according to the Bible, a person could perform all the mandated rituals of a religion, attend all the services, sing all the songs, celebrate all the holidays, and yet be worshiping something else the entire time. Worship has much more to do with where our heart is, where our hope is, where we look for life. 
And it has much less to do with our actual actions, although those are important too. Uh, You can think of it as like maybe you had a parent or a spouse who could be physically present, but at the same time actually be very distant. So they did all the things, right? They had all the actions, but they weren't really there with you because their affections, their attention was actually somewhere else the whole time. So God says to us, just like we would say to that parent or spouse, I need your heart to be with us, not just your actions. Your affections need to be here too. That really matters. The psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 16, has much to say about worship. It describes what it looks like for our hearts to be focused on God. And it tells us the problem, the big, big problem, if the primary longing of our hearts is for anything other than God. And finally, the psalm gives us a bit of a roadmap for how to delight in God. So let's look at these one at a time. What it looks like for our hearts to be focused on God, and really the psalmist gives us seven different aspects of heart worship. Then we'll look at the problem of worshiping anything other than God. And finally, we'll look at how to delight in God, which will include both what to do and what not to do. So first, seven aspects of worship. These will all be quick, which will show us that really all of us are worshiping something all the time. So here we go. First aspect of worship, where we seek refuge. You see that in verse one, where we look for shelter or rest from the chaos of life points to what we worship. So when life is stormy, where might we take cover? And again, this is what's primary, what we believe we need most. Do we say something like, I've got to get to the weekend. I've got to get to my vacation. Nothing wrong with vacations, nothing wrong with weekends, but if it rises to the level of, I have to have it in order to make it, like this is the thing that will make it possible for me to endure the storm. That's worship. I've got to get to the bar where I find my frozen concoction that helps me hang on. I've got to get to the box of donuts to be able to face my evening. Where do you, what, what do you have to have in order to have refuge? That's worship. Number two, what we obsess over. See that in verse two. He says, you are my Lord apart, or I have no good apart from you. He's saying, God, you're, you're my one and only, my obsession. I, I, I am nothing without you. If I don't have you, I don't have anything. If I lose you, I've lost everything. You complete me. I'll sacrifice anything in order to have you. What do we look at like that? Whatever that is, it's worship. Number three, what we believe will fill us. See this in verse five and 11. He calls God his portion, his cup, his lot, the source of his life. Um, It's when we look at something and say, this is it. I found what to live for. I want nothing else except, like this is my substance. Uh, this, is, this is the very bread of life. Um, so fulfillment then is similar, but really kind of the opposite of refuge because refuge is what we cling to when we retreat from life. Um, whereas what we believe will fill us is what we primarily advance toward, and that is worship. Number four, our hoped for inheritance. We see this in verse six. At the end of our lives, what do we want to have with us? If we lived how we want to live, 
what will be the light at the end of the tunnel? What, what will we receive someday? What will make all of our toil worth it? What is the legacy that we will leave? What will we have built? Whatever that is, it shows what we worship. It's what we've spent our lives to attain. Of course, that's what we worship, right? Number five, who we listen to for counsel. See this in verse seven. From whom do we take instruction about life? Who is schooling us? Who is whispering in our ears and we're listening? Who or what is it that steers you? Even if it's not really conscious on our part, we are exposed to constant messaging every day from all kinds of sources. Just the fact that California culture looks different than New York culture looks different from Texas culture. And if we move to a different area, we may not wholesale buy into it, but our lives would begin to look more and more like those around us. If you don't believe that, and you're like, oh, I'm an individual, I'm not influenced by anyone. Okay, I, sure. Um, just think about how different American culture is from, I don't know, Cuban culture. And if you went to Cuba, they'd pick you out as an American in a second. You could pick anywhere, uh, Ethiopia, Slovakia, right? And it doesn't matter, Yemen, it doesn't matter your ethnic makeup, right? It doesn't matter what, how you dress and style, they would know you are an American in a second. You know, youth culture isn't the same as used to be youth culture, right? And you can pick out who's in what kind of segment of society. Why is that? We are listening to something Messaging is getting to us somehow. We are being schooled. And whatever it is that primarily shapes us is one aspect of what we worship. All right, number six, what makes us feel secure? He says in verse eight, because I have the Lord, I will not be shaken. Or verse nine, he says, my flesh dwells secure. We are all looking to something to give us a sense that everything will be okay. We all have to finish these sentences. I will not be shaken because. I think I'm going to make it because. If you don't have an end to those sentences, you just collapse in despair. You have to have something that makes us believe that we will get to the light at the end of the tunnel. Could be our bank account, our degree, our willpower, our family, or it could be God. But it's something, and whatever it is indicates what we actually worship. All right, number seven, what gives us a sense of belonging? See this in verse 10. He says, for you, God, will not abandon my soul. He said, God won't leave me. He said, it's like he's saying, because you include me, I'm included. Because you want me, I'm wanted. Because I'm a part of what you're doing, I'm part of enough. What do we say that about? What do we look to and think because this person or because this group sees me, I am seen. Because they will have me, I finally feel like I belong. Whoever that is, that primary, it shows what we worship. So we all worship all the time. We are all looking for refuge. Each one of us has a one and only, an obsession. We trust something to fill us. We all hope for some type of inheritance or reward in life. We listen to someone's counsel. We all need a sense of security, and we all need to think that we're wanted or we belong. That's all of us. It's all the time. It's every moment of every day. Our heart is reaching for one or more of all of those. Even if you're an atheist, 
You're hoping for all of these at some point. You're counting on something to give you these. So you are worshiping. And if you're a Christian, let's be honest here, Christians. Sometimes we look to the Lord for some of these, but we have to admit, rarely, if ever, is the Lord primary in all of these, which means, Christians, we are worshiping all kinds of gods, all kinds of idols that aren't the Lord. And actually, Christians, we are probably worshiping a lot of the same gods that atheists are worshiping. Now, what is the problem with that? What's the problem with looking for refuge, having an obsession, wanting inheritance or reward in life, listening to counsel, finding security or belonging, primarily in something other than the God of the Bible? What's the problem? Well, he tells you, verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. The problem with worshiping anything other, other than God is multiplying sorrows. Here's the claim, which is a bold claim. If we set our heart primarily on anything other than the Lord in all of these seven different aspects, it, in any of these, it will multiply our sorrows. If you are skeptical about that claim, uh, I don't blame you, but let's think about it. If you have to have something to calm you down to make it through your day, it's your refuge. You have to have it. What's going to happen over time? you are gonna need more and more of that thing and you will end up with less and less refuge. Then eventually it won't calm you down at all. Whether it is actually an addictive substance or not, it will work like an addiction. And as any addict will tell you, once the rush of your first drug doesn't do it for you anymore, you will look for something else that is even more potent but ends up being more destructive. Sorrows multiply. If we look to something and say, without you, I'm nothing, I'll sacrifice anything in order to have you. You are my obsession. Now, oftentimes we look at romance this way, don't we? Or maybe a job. Like, I have to have this thing in order to have anything. But what happens if it's anything except God? It's really unhealthy. Romances like that flame out. More like you tear each other apart if you look at each other that way. Like codependent, super dramatic, always wanting more, never having enough. <laughs> We talked about belonging. If you look to someone or some group and say, I need you to want me for me to feel wanted, that's a problem. If it's your job and you say, without you, I'm nothing, you're gonna work yourself to death. With any of these, there will be an initial rush. Again, just like any other drug. Amazing that you have this thing, but it'll turn you into a slave. It will crush you. If you are totally overextended on one thing like that, it will ruin the rest of your life. Nothing is built to carry that much meaning except God. It will fall apart on you, and you'll fall apart. This is sad for me to use as an illustration because he's like my childhood hero, but have you seen interviews with Michael Jordan in the last 15 years? There's a pretty new documentary on Netflix, which is fantastic. I could watch it every day. Um, but it's like Jordan has gone even further in the direction of where he was at his Hall of Fame acceptance speech, which was way back in 2009. Uh, he seems to be a bitter man, which again is so sad for me. Um, I mean, he found the thing he wanted to live for. He, he had this, this is it, 
right? This is what I want out of life. He wanted to be the best, and he is the best. He did it. Who are you going to say, LeBron? I'd rather have Steph Curry, for the record. Now you don't like me. But as icing on the cake from being the best, he's a billionaire. He has international fame. But he just seems angry. He doesn't seem whole. He certainly isn't gracious because... Nothing other than God is really built to be our prime treasure. Whatever we've hoped for, for whatever we've hoped in for security, like maybe being the best basketball player in history, when that thing gets shaken, and it will, then we will feel shaken, and we will feel insecure. Again, Michael Jordan should be the most secure guy on the planet. Everyone wants to be like Mike. Remember the commercial? But in these interviews, it's so sad. He seems insecure. He's defensive. It's like he still has something to prove. He actually said during his, at the end of his uh, Hall of Fame acceptance speech, 2009, the game of basketball has been everything to me. Quote, my refuge, my place I have always gone to find comfort and peace. It's it one and only but it doesn't really seem to have given him comfort and peace. Worshiping, setting our heart, our affections primarily on anything other than God will ultimately lead to increasing sorrows. So who we listen to matters. Who we let train us, who who shapes us, it matters. And who is that? Is it advertisers, marketers? If so, they essentially tell us we need what Jordan has. And if we had that, we would have life. But again, it doesn't look like Jordan has life. So I don't think it's a good idea to be shaped in that direction. Around here, we are swimming in a culture that tells us achievement is necessary to have worth or value. Are you listening to that messaging? Do you feel less than or do you feel incomplete when you you haven't accomplished as much as others? Who's in your head? You may not even realize how far down the rabbit hole you are in being shaped by something other than the Lord. So just as an experiment, okay, just for one week, one week, whenever, one week, you give it, you can try this for one week. Whenever you are bored, whenever you would normally flip to something on your phone to like fill the minutes, Instead of social media or news outlets or Reddit or Wikipedia or some little mindless game that you play, instead of that, just for one week, okay, any time that you would normally burn time on your phone, read Scripture instead. Maybe read Psalms. We're in a series on Psalms. Start with Psalm 1. See how far you get in a week. Use the Bible app so you could still be on your phone. Just be putting Scripture in your head instead of whatever else you normally would, and then see how you feel at the end of the week. It matters which hose we're drinking from. It matters. Not that social media or Reddit is all bad, of course not, but there's a cumulative effect. It's instructing us, it's teaching us, it's shaping us, and it's not life-giving. It will multiply our sorrows because it really trains us to place our deepest hopes for refuge, inheritance, belonging, security, in something other than the Lord. It does not train us in the path of life, and there is a cumulative effect. But good news, there is a cumulative effect of filling ourselves with God as well. 
Notice the fundamental difference in this passage between God and everything else. Everything else, the more of it we have, the more unhealthy we become. Again, our sorrows multiply, verse 4. Even really good things, right? I mean, think about a cookie. Five cookies are great. 500 cookies in a day, not great. Five million cookies in a day will kill you, right? Cookies can ruin your life. That's possible. Everything in the world other than God follows the law of diminishing returns. But with the Lord, his pleasures are forevermore, verse 11. The more of the Lord we have, the healthier we are, the more life we have. God is not subject to the law of diminishing returns. He has increasing returns, pleasures forevermore. So how can we develop that type of enjoyment in him? Uh, Every time we talk about satisfaction in the Lord in here, uh, we receive questions. And I'm really glad for these, so keep sending in your sermon questions. But people reach out and say, I don't delight in the Lord. How can I get there? Is there something wrong with me because I don't find him satisfying? We get those questions. Maybe you've had those questions. Uh, Depending on the season, I've had those questions. So thankfully, when the the psalmist says here, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. He also gives us a bit of a roadmap for how to get there. He tells us what not to do and what to do. If we want the delight he has, if we want our affections on the Lord more than anything else, what not to do and what to do. So first, what not to do. Follow the pattern of those around you. Do not follow the pattern of those around you. Verse four, he's talking about what everyone else chases after, and he says, I will not take those names on my lips. He's writing in ancient Israel, and we live in modern America, but we really aren't very different. He was saturated in messaging of where to find refuge, belonging, security, inheritance, just like we are. And he says, I'm not taking any of those names on my lips. So think about your friends and the object of their obsession. What is it? What do they think they must have? And they may actually articulate their deepest hopes with words, depending on how close you are, or you may just notice it through their behavior and emotions. But do they convey, one way or another, do they get across, I need that car. I need that house. I need that vacation. I need that relationship. I need that promotion, that recognition, that power, that approval. What name do they take on their lips? And not just our friends, right? We're inundated. It's every ad on TV. It's every social media post. It's every minute in the workplace what people feel they need to do in order to be someone The psalmist says, I won't take those names on my lips. It requires tremendous effort on our part to resist all that messaging. So if you're going to fight that, you've actually got to fight it really hard. You've got to intentionally tell yourself the exact opposite. We should say out loud, if necessary, I don't need that power. I don't need that comfort. I don't need that approval. I don't need that recognition. I don't need that title. I don't need it. Nice to have, I'd take it if it comes along, but I don't need it. You gotta force yourself not to take those names on your lips. Say, that is an idol. I will not chase after it. It will multiply my sorrows. That is what not to do. 
what to do. Saturate yourself with God's word, God's people, and God's son. Saturate yourself with God's word, God's people, and God's son. When the psalmist says, verse 7, the Lord gives me counsel, at night he instructs me. How does that happen? How does God instruct us? It's scripture. We've got to be in the word daily. There really is no substitute. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you want to experience God, but you aren't in his word all the time, it's going to be very difficult to encounter him on a regular basis. When people tell me they aren't feeling it with God, one diagnostic question is, well, how much time are you spending in God's word? Are you seeking him where he said he will be? Are you putting significant investment there? And remember, opposite from how worldly treasure works, God has increasing returns. So delight with him will grow and grow and grow over time, which means it might be small in the beginning. But as the years roll by, you'll have more and more and more joy, reward, inheritance if you're staying in the word. One of my favorite things is talking with 70, 80, 90 year olds who have pursued Jesus as their treasure for 50, 60, 80 years. They are so full of the fruit of the spirit, honestly, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It is a delight to be around them. Conversely, one of the saddest things is to meet a 70, 80, 90 year old who has pursued something else as their treasure for 50, 60, 80 years, has, has pursued diligently approval or power or comfort or needs to redo their house every five years, needs to. They might call themselves a Christian. They might have been in church every time the door opened for 80 years, but their heart has pursued some treasure other than Jesus for their whole life, and it's sad. Not, it's not like they're full of bitterness every moment. I'm sure Jordan isn't either. But when their idol gets shaken, and it does, they can be pretty monstrous. It matters what we pursue, where we invest, and it grows over the course of our lives. Either way, it grows. So put significant time into God's word for the long haul. Second, saturate yourself with God's people. The psalmist loves being around God's people. Verse 3. Um, that doesn't mean you're only friends with Christians. Absolutely not. Be friends with everyone, of course. Uh, but we need, we need to be with others who are pursuing the Lord as their treasure. We need to come to church. Not online. We need to come to church. If you are watching this online because you are physically unable to be here, we will help you however we can, and we pray that this season is temporary. But if you live far away from here, Okay, I hope the service is encouraging to you. You can keep watching, but you need to get plugged into a local body of believers wherever you are. You need to be with God's people. Again, there is no substitute. God inhabits the praises of his people, right? Now, like we said, it's possible to come here every week and never have your heart aligned to the Lord. That's possible. But at the same time, there is no way to have your heart aligned to the Lord without spending significant time with God's people. We've got to be with others. Got to be with others. Okay, finally, saturate yourself with God's Son. Um, eventually, there comes a moment in the life of every Christian. Maybe some of us need to wait until eternity, but eventually the Bible will become alive to us. 
Maybe it matters how much time we're spending in it, how quickly that happens. But one of the ways it comes alive is when we see the Bible is really all about Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh, John 1. Jesus tells the religious leaders, guys, you diligently study the scriptures. You pour over them because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life, John 5, 39. Similarly, Jesus told his disciples on the road to Emmaus, guys, all that stuff in the Old Testament that you've always read about, that was really about me says that Luke 24. So we take a passage like Psalm 16, and sure, we've just spent 30 minutes talking about what, what Psalm 16 instructs us to do and not do, and that's part of its meaning, of course, but there is a greater meaning. Psalm 16, like all of Scripture, is really about Jesus, about what he did to give us life. For instance, Jesus always took refuge in God, didn't he? And yet on the cross, he lost that refuge so that we may be preserved, verse 1. Verse 3, who are the saints in the land? That's us, you and me. And who delights in us? That's Jesus. That's why he went to the cross, so he could be with you, because he delights in you. Psalmist says here, God will never abandon him. How do you know God will never abandon you? Because he was willing to go to the cross for you. Then verse 4, it was Jesus who was called a man of sorrows, Isaiah 53, and yet his sorrows didn't multiply because he ran after other gods. His sorrows multiplied because we ran after other gods. He took our sorrows in our place. Whose blood is the drink offering that we will, that we will take on our lips? Still in verse 4, it's Jesus. He is that offering. Verse 5, Jesus always looked to God as his portion and cup, and yet at the end of his life, Jesus drank a different cup. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so we could have the cup of his inheritance. And now we get to say, verse 6, I have a beautiful inheritance because I have his inheritance. Right? We are not shaken because he was shaken. It's every verse. It's all the Old Testament. Christian, your refuge, your inheritance, your portion, your security, your belonging is totally assured because of what Jesus did for you. The passage is about Jesus. The Old Testament tells us about Jesus on every page. The Bible is about Jesus. The more that you see that, the more your heart will be warmed. Maybe for some of you, your heart is warmed right now. Scripture is alive because it's telling us about someone who is alive. Saturate yourself in God's word, God's people, and God's son of whom Scripture testifies from, from cover to cover, and you will, especially over time, build more and more delight in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are good and reliable and filling um, in our inheritance and secure and never abandon us um, and include us and died for us, Lord. Thank you that you are, that you are a worthy God. Lord, please direct our hearts away from anything else that we would ever chase as primary that will only multiply our sorrows. Lord, may we be so riveted to Jesus that everything else just seems uh, unthinkable to pursue. Uh, we pray all these things and ask for that in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Danny. I'm, I'm immediately reminded that Romans tells us that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, 
you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And some of us have said that, thought that, prayed that a million times, and maybe some of us have never uh, heard or thought that before, but you can pray that right now. You can pray that today, or if you're still curious, catch me after the service. I'll hang out down here for a few minutes if you want to talk about that a little bit more. But I was uh, really struck by verse 5 in today's scripture reading of Psalm 16. And verse 5 says, The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And uh, I was reading that over a few times as Dan was speaking, and I'm reminded that I've had seasons in my life, and we all have seasons in our spiritual journey where sometimes we can say, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. And there's other times where, if we're honest, we say, Lord, please be my chosen portion and my cup. So I don't know where each of you are today, but can we stand together? And I'm going to read this passage a couple times, and I'm going to pause. And instead of reading the word is... I want you in your head, don't say it out loud, unless you want to, that's fine too, but in your head, I want you to fill in the blank. The Lord is, or the Lord please be my chosen portion in my cup. Would you close your eyes? The Lord, my chosen portion in my cup. The Lord. chosen portion and my cup. Gracious Lord, chosen portion and my cup.
sets us free. God, we thank you. We love you, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard pieces of my story, when I was 22 years old, uh, I was invited to church and attended church with a friend of mine that was meeting in a high school gymnasium, uh, and there that day, uh, I prayed that prayer that I was just talking about, that I confessed with my mouth that I'm a sinner. I am not good enough. But what Jesus has done is good enough for me to cover my sins. And I put my faith and my hope in Jesus uh, that day. 22 years old, had, did not grow up in the church. And shortly after that, uh, the church had a baptism Sunday. Uh, they had a day where they were celebrating baptisms for anyone in the congregation who had come to faith. And since they were meeting in a high school gymnasium, it was going to be in someone's backyard. And so I was going to be baptized in a pool. And so I showed up and I decided to uh, make a public profession through the symbol of baptism. And I got there and they said, well, only three people are getting baptized, so we didn't heat our pool, so you're going to get baptized in a hot tub today. So I was baptized in a hot tub at 22 uh, after putting my faith in Jesus. And I share that story because coming up, you probably have heard the announcements. We're going to have one of my favorite services all year, and on July 31st, we're going to head out to Seabright Beach. We're going to have worship on the beach, just going to bring a little acoustic guitar. We're going to sing a bunch of songs on the beach. Pastor Dan's going to share a message, and then afterwards, if anybody who has not yet been baptized but has put their faith in Jesus wants to be baptized, uh, we're going to walk down to the waves, and we're going to baptize people. So if that is you, if you're interested in hearing more about baptism, once again, meet me all, hang out down here, Pastor Dan, Pastor Steve, or send us an email. We, we would love to connect with you. We would love to tell you more about it. So remember, July 31st, we will not be meeting in this building. We are going to meet out at Seabright Beach. We're going to have worship, we're going to have baptism, and then we're going to hang out for as long as you want to hang out. Bring a Frisbee, bring slam ball, I don't know, what other games you can bring to the beach, but let's have a great time together on July 31st. Also, thanks for joining us uh, today for worship. We would love to continue this conversation. If you have questions about what Dan shared today or any other questions, head to bridges.info and you can submit questions about the sermon or about our faith or about baptism or anything else that's going on there at bridges.info. And also, we continue, can continue our act of worship by giving financially. You can do so online securely at bridges.info or we have some boxes bolted to the back wall that you can uh, leave physical money if anyone carries that anymore. I don't, but you can leave uh, your offering in the back. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship, and would you stand as I uh, pray for us before we leave today? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you for the opportunity to sing 
praises to you. God, I pray that we continue to hear all creation singing your praises. And as we leave this building today, I pray that we keep your word on our hearts and we make your word a priority. God, please be our chosen portion. Please carry our lot. God, we thank you, we love you, and we thank you most of all for the gift of your son. In Jesus' precious and holy name, I pray. Amen. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you soon.